0: Well, good morning. morning. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you, and thank you for joining us today on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, I hope everybody's having a good weekend so far. My name is Scott Verino, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor um, to welcome you to church today. Um, I know we've got a bunch that are logging in online and a bunch that are out traveling. Last night was the graduation for all of our high school seniors, and so I'm sure there are parents today just sitting at home crying um, no, we pray for them. We love them. A lot of y'all are here today, too. So uh, if there's something we can do to stand alongside you and love you well, please just let us know. Um, so, so today's going to be an interesting way to start the service. So for those of you who weren't here last week, um, we we're in a series about around the topic of Samuel, 1 Samuel. And so in the sermon last week, uh, one of the points was around Samuel, not ever dropping one of the words that God spoke to him. So Samuel was known as a prophet that didn't let any of God's words fall to the ground. And so we talked about different ways that God speaks to us. And and I made reference to the fact that one of the ways that God speaks to us is through dreams. And I told you that my wife, Tammy, um, is one of those that has dreams. So Monday morning rolls around and um, you ever wake up and you just know your spouse is awake? Like, um, so this is how this works in our house. Um, by the end of the night, I get about three inches on the side of the bed. Because, you know, right, so the dogs get like you know all of their space. Tammy gets her space, and I'm just hanging on for dear life. And so I wake up and I'm looking away the other way, and I just have this feeling. And so I said, uh, "You awake? Yep. Yep." And her answer allowed me to know that she was not only awake, she was wide awake. And then I said, "Did you have a dream? Yep. Yep." And at that point, you're choosing your words very wisely. I said, am I in trouble? She didn't respond, no. right? Like she didn't respond. I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. And so we worked through this conversation. And here's, here's what I'll tell you. If you are a, um, a person that's here for the very first time today, we're not a weird, kooky, crazy church. Um, in fact, this is the first time we've ever stood up on this stage and said, this is what we feel God has said to us. Um, but, but God allowed Tammy to have this dream and gave her a specific word that she wrote down that we're gonna share with you today that is very timely for where we find ourselves and what God is doing in our lives. And so if you're in a series on Samuel, where we learn about Samuel, that he doesn't let one of God's words fall to the ground, Tammy and I agreed that we should probably read this. Amen? So we're going to go ahead and share it with you, but um, it's a little different. We've not done that, but I'm I'm excited about it because I believe God is still moving and active, and and we have an opportunity to experience that today. So here's what we're going to do. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And we're going to start the service off by praying the Lord's Prayer together. And then I'm gonna ask Tammy to to go ahead and read what God gave her. And then I'll close that part out with prayer. And then we'll go right on into worship. And I just believe it is going to be a wonderful Sunday morning. Y'all guys, you ready? Okay, so let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen.
1: It's time. It's time to be open and receptive to me in ways that you've never been before. It's time. It's time for me to move in ways that will bring honor and glory to my name. It's time. Worship is one of the catalysts in which I move. I've been moving through music since the beginning of time. It's time again. You have been comfortable and safe, but trust me with your hearts and lives and watch what I will do. It's time.
0: Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we're so honored to have the opportunity to, to gather in this space, the space that you've been brooding over Lord, a space that you've invited us into to experience the palpable presence that only you can provide. And so God, I pray that through our service and our time together, that you just open up our hearts, that you allow us to receive from the living God today. Because if my theology is right, there, it is always the time for us to be open and available to receive and to experience what you're doing and what you wanna do in us and through us. And so God, I pray that through this time of worship and through this time of teaching, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and bring us to a new place. Allow us to experience a move of your spirit, God, that maybe we've not experienced before because we realize and we recognize that there's something you wanna do in our lives. And so today, God, we open and avail ourselves to you, all of the concerns that we bring into this place. God, we set them to the side and we just ask that you be God. We love you, we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: doing but all we have to do is look back and see what you've done see your faithfulness see the times the many countless times Lord where your hands were uh, all around a situation that seemed absolutely impossible and so this morning we just bring our openness in just wanting those walls to fall so that your spirit can move in us and through us just as a church, as the kingdom of God, so that when people step in those back doors, Lord, that they can feel and experience Jesus, that they can be connected to Jesus. We're just pointing them to you, Lord. That's all that it's about today. We love you, we thank you so much for who you are, Uh, the relationship that we can have with you, for anyone here that might even just be struggling, God, that just, it's time, time to grab a hold and move forward and press into you. And that's what we truly want today. We love you. We are yours this morning, God. Continue to move, Lord, in us.
2: Good night.
3: And Seal it, seal
4: it for thy courts of blood Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. That you would allow us to be a part of your plan and your purposes. Even though we are imperfect vessels, you would work your perfect plan through us. God, we thank you for that we thank you that we can look back on what you have done for us in our lives and and have that assurance that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you do. God, I pray that as Scott comes to, uh, to give us the message that you've laid on his heart for us this week, that you would allow us to not leave here the same as we came in, God, but that as your word is preached, that our hearts would be opened and that we'd be receptive to what it is you have for us. Whether that's a message or a direction, a plan, whatever it is that you're laying out for us, God, I pray that we'd be open and receptive to it. We love you, Father, and we thank you. And it's your son, in your son's holy and precious name we pray today. Amen. Amen. Before you guys are seated, if you'll turn around, oh, greet the people around you. Bonus points, if you meet, talk to somebody you don't know yet.
5: To the brave men and women who stood up for freedom, who answered the call and fought for our nation, who paid the ultimate price and never came back. To the American soldier, we thank you. To the mothers and fathers who raised a hero, to the brothers and sisters, with an empty space to the sons and daughters who have only memories to the wives and husbands who bear the void with pride to all who've lost a soldier they love no gift could repay your sacrifice no tribute could match our admiration no word can contain our gratitude but still It deserves to be said. We remember you. We salute you. And we honor you today.
0: Morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Um, my name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have this time with you. Um, you know, growing up as an Air Force brat, I know some of you like you say that, and that means something. Like now you know maybe what my life was a little bit like. But growing up as an Air Force brat and spending so much time in this community, um, we know the importance of today. And so I hope that at some point today, um, over hot dogs or hamburgers or whatever it is that you do to um, express your freedom, um, that you'll just take a moment to pause and be grateful for the sacrifice that was made for us to to have the freedom to come together and worship and say a blessing for those families that that I know are really struggling today. Amen? All right. Well, I'm so glad that you're all here. Uh, We've got a great service, a great sermon. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to diving into that. But um, let me just tell you, I appreciate you being here on a holiday weekend. There are a lot of places you could be, and it means the world to me and to this team that you'd be here with us. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus, because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so our hope is that if you need some life today, that you'll let us know, and we'll connect you and do everything we can to stand alongside you. And so let us know if, if there's something we can do for you. Um, I do not have a lot of announcements, and so I'll just give you the the one that they tell me to go to if there are no announcements. Um, The two QR codes on the chair in front of you, the one on the left, if you want to find out about the events and all the exciting things coming up, use that QR code on the left. That'll take you to the registration pages or to the information so you know everything that's going on. And the one on the right is our giving QR code. If you want to connect with community life in terms of connecting people to Jesus, that's the way to do it if you're tech savvy. If you're a check writer, like so many of us are, um, there are boxes around the inside of the building, and we just so appreciate you guys um, being a part of this ministry and, and giving of your resource to help us to continue to, to live into our mission. So, um, so we're in this series called Kingmaker, and we are on week three, and I'm, I'm loving it. Samuel, and, and, and so for those who don't know, and maybe you're here for the very first time, Uh, We're in a series called Kingmaker about one of the men in the Bible, his name is Samuel, but more importantly, about the time period of Samuel's life, where Israel in the period of the judges have found themselves in one of the most deplorable bottom of life places. And Samuel is a part of transitioning them to one of their most prosperous times into the times of the kings. And so you have this. Samuel that's positioned in between there. And so as a church, one of the things that we like to do is we like to study scripture and understand the greater story so that we can find out not only what the story says, but then how does it apply to our lives? And so that's what we've been doing. We've been going through and been studying the story of, of Samuel. And the first, first week we talked about Hannah, and then last week we talked about Samuel. And um, today we're going to move towards talking about the anointing of Saul and what this next phase of ministry looks like. Um, in Samuel's life. But here's the deal. Um, as I was studying, as we were studying this week, um, I had a couple choices for today. The first one is this, and Wayne, I don't know if you can hear me, but I feel like I'm on the edge of, of feeding back, so I don't know if you can save me, but I can't, I'll lose my mind. Um, so we have this time period, um, okay. Ah, I was all ready for today, sermon. Sermon about Samuel, anointing Saul, and moving on with, the, and it was a good sermon. I'm just telling you, it was perfect, would have been easy, we would have been done early, and I'd have been able to send you off about your day, and, and you can still have that sermon today if you want. I'm actually, this is like a, we're going to vote today. But somewhere in my studies, and I should say our studies, because there's a collective group of people, through my Bible studies and people that I talk to, um, we discovered something about the life of Saul that's different than anything I had read. Um, or that I see biblical scholars talking about, or notes that are made. Um, And I'm not trying to say that we found something that nobody else knows about. I'm just saying that there was something that we discovered that informs Saul's history that maybe tells us about why he makes the decisions that he makes. And so as we went down these rabbit holes of figuring it out, I'm going to tell you, it opened up the craziest of journeys um, for us to go on today. And so I'm going to ask you, would you like... The simple, boring sermon? Or would you like to go on a journey that will have you talking about it in the car ride on the way home? Is that, okay, good, all right. So that's where we're gonna go today. If you're not, then I'm sorry. But now here's the deal. I probably should have said this before. Um, I need to give you a warning up front. Um, We're gonna cover about 11 chapters of 1 Samuel. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, just hold on tight. You have no idea where we're going. Everybody's probably gonna get lost because I'll use the wrong names, whatever. So anyways, just, just know that we're gonna go 1,000 miles an hour. It's gonna be quick, we're gonna cover a lot of history, but I believe it's gonna be worth it. The second thing I need to do is give you a warning. Do you remember I told you about the last three chapters of Judges? I said, go home and read them, but do not read them out loud to your children. Those chapters, there are things in there that are so deplorable, so tragic, so traumatic, and we're gonna talk about them today. So I need to give you a warning that there may be things that we cover today that, that could be triggering, that could be problematic, um, I want you to know they're in scripture, so it's important for you to know about, but I'm also going to teach them and talk about them to the best of my ability in ways that will be appropriate for mixed ears, okay? Does that work for everybody? So I'm going to try and cover them in a way that, that you can hear them, understand what's being said, but, but, but kind of pull it all together. So we're going to be dealing with some of the darkest parts of Israel's history and how God transitions them out. Here's what I want you to know is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses one through 12, Paul is writing about this time period. And what he says in chapter 10 is that the things that Israel went through, the degradation, the brokenness, the sexual immorality, those things were as a result so that we could learn from them and not fall into the same trappings that Israel fell into. And so basically the mistakes, the, le- the lessons that they learned in the history of Israel is for us to look at today and to understand the spiritual context of the brokenness of sin and how to avoid them in our lives. And so when you hear some of these stories, when they just strike you at the core of your heart as being something so deplorable, know that it's a lesson for us to never fall back into that place. Amen? So that's maybe one of the ways that you can hold the sermon today and try and wrestle through it. So um, uh, if you're ready or not, we're going to do this. Um, We're just going to run through. First part of the sermon, I'm going to catch you up from chapter three until we're introduced to Saul. Then I'm going to tell you the story of Saul. And then we're going to circle back around to the end of Judges and connect it all together and then send you out to go grill hot dogs. So here we go. So we ended, we started off with the story of Hannah. And then last week we ended chapter three um, with two important things. Number one, Samuel is now recognized as hearing the voice of God and not allowing one single word that God says to fall to the ground. So he's recognized as a prophet at a very young age. And the first prophecy that he hears is how God is going to judge Eli, who's the high priest at the time, because of the wickedness of his sons and Eli didn't deal with them. And so we leave chapter three knowing those two things and we move into chapter four. And so in chapter four, we meet this group of people called the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are the arch nemesis of Israel during this time and all the way through the time of David and into the the period of the kings. Um, If you don't know who the Philistines are, you more than likely have heard the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, and so that's his people group. Um, They were uh, people that um, that lived over on the Mediterranean Sea and they they were seafaring people. That's the word I could not come up with in in the first service. They were seafaring people and these were the enemies of Israel. So they attack Israel, they kill 4,000 Israelites and Israel freaks out. Israel says, well, we can't beat them so we have to do what we've always learned to do and that is to go get the Ark of the Lord and to bring it out into battle and surely if we have the Ark with us, then God will give us victory. Now here's the problem. God didn't tell them to do that. They just learned somehow, this is how far that they had fallen. For them, the ark had become like a talisman, that if they brought it into battle, that surely God would let them win. And so they, 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 they got past not even listening to God, they just decided to do whatever they wanted to do. Now, for those of you who are new to church and new to reading the Bible, let me talk about the ark for just a moment. The ark was probably the most significant religious uh, um, item in Israel's history, here's a picture of it. Um, it's a wooden box that's covered in gold. And inside the ark, there are three particular things. Number one, the tablets that Moses wrote the 10 commandments on. Number two, the uh, Aaron, who was the first high priest, his rod that he used during his time of ministry is in there. And number three, a golden jar of manna that God fed the Israelites from heaven. Those things were in there. And God used that ark from time to time whenever they would go out to battle to lead them to victory. And so I kind of explained to you that Israel had gotten that backwards now. So they bring the ark out. They send Eli's sons to go get the ark. They bring it out into battle and the Philistines hear about it. Now here's the interesting thing about the Philistines. They heard the stories of what happened in Egypt and they're afraid of this God. But what it does is it gave them a resolve. Now they know they have to fight stronger. So the Philistines attack the Israelites and they wipe out their army and they take the ark of the Lord captive. Um, Both of Eli's sons are killed. Word gets back to Eli. He hears about it. He falls over in his chair and he dies, which fulfills the prophecy that God was spoken to. uh, God spoke over him in chapter three. But now the ark of the Lord is in the hands of the Philistines. That ends chapter four. Then we move into chapter five. And all of these things I'm about to tell you lands in about a seventh month period of time. So the Philistines... I told you there are people that live over on the western coast of Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. They had a God that they worshiped and this God's name was Dagon. And here we have a, a, an artist's rendering of Dagon. He's a merman. And for them, Dagon was the, uh, the, God, the God of fertility. And he has a temple in this first city called Ashdod. And so they take the Ark of the Lord and they stick it in the temple of, Ash, of, uh, of Dagon as a spoil of war. They have a giant party, they go to bed, thinking everything's all right. They wake up the next morning, this is the Philistines, and their statue of Dagon has fallen on its face before the ark. And so they're like, hmm, that's strange. Maybe a strong wind. So they prop it back up. They live out their day, they get back up the next morning and now the statue has fallen over and its head is severed, its hands are severed, and just the torso is now laying as if worshiping God. And the people are like, this can't be good. Over the next few months, the people of Ashdod start breaking out with crazy tumors all over the place until finally they decided, you know what? We don't want this ark anymore, right? I don't know how it took them months to decide that, but they're like, you know, what's good. Let's move it over to our, our buddy's city. So they move it over to Gath, which is where Goliath is from. Same story happens there. Takes them a few months. They're all breaking out with tumors and they're like, yep, we don't want it either. So they move it on to Ekron, which is one of the three of their five cities. Same thing happens there until finally they decide... We're sending this thing back, right? It's amazing. It took them seven months to make that decision. So they get, they talk to some some people to figure out what's going on. They get some oxen, they get a cart, they put it on there, they put a bunch of gold and they turn them loose. And you know what? That oxen brought that thing right back to Israel. So God brought it right back in. But interesting fact for all my biblical nerds out there, Israel gets the ark, but they don't bring it back into the center of worship. They leave it out at someone's farm. I don't know what you would call it, their land. And they appoint a priest, Eleazar, to go and to care for the ark. But the ark is not brought back into focus in the life of Israel until David becomes king. So now the ark is there. The chapter then shifts over to Samuel. And Samuel now finds himself as the judge of Israel. And he's a great judge, making wise decisions. He's calling everybody together. And um, he's working through all the different scenarios they have. And the chapter ends, um, oh no, oh no, this is good. I almost forgot this. Um, so, so the Philistines attack the Israelites. They come to and they set up and they're about to battle them. And Samuel, they don't have an army. And so Samuel cries out to God and God hears his cry and he takes the army of the Philistines, confuses them. They fight against themselves and they beat themselves up. Israel sees this happen and check this out. This is the cool thing for you to know. Israel sees this happen. Samuel goes and takes a giant boulder and he sets it up high where everyone can see it. And he names that boulder Ebenezer. Therefore, I raise an Ebenezer. The hymn that you guys just sang, that's the chapter that that song comes from. That word Ebenezer means God is my defender. And so it allows you to know that God defended them. They didn't even have to raise a hand. And so you go through that time period, Samuel's seen as a judge in Israel, wonderful man. You come to the end of whatever chapter that was. Um, Let's say that was the end of chapter 7. Samuel's a great judge. We get into chapter eight. Starts off with the fact that Samuel's old. He doesn't want to do this anymore. And so he appoints his children to be judges in Israel. Here's the problem. Samuel's children are just as bad as Eli's children. And so Israel's like, we don't want these scoundrels leading us. So they come back to Samuel and they say, get these guys out of here. We want a king. And Samuel is so offended by this. He's like, how dare you ask for a king? God has led you all this way. Who do you think you are asking for a king? And so Samuel goes back and he prays to God. And he says, I can't believe these people have rejected me in this way. And God says, oh, no, no, no. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. And so Samuel, here's what I want you to do. Go back to Israel and tell them this. And so at the end of chapter eight, he goes back and he says, here's what you need to know. If you want a king, you're going to get a king, but he's going to tax you. He's going to take your daughters and make them work in the palace. He's going to take your sons. He's going to put them into war. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your food. He's going to take all of these different things. You don't want a king. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, we want a king. And he says, okay, then you're going to get a king. Chapter nine. Now, this is where that simple sermon would have started. Okay. So chapter nine, this is where we have the encounter between Saul and Samuel and this story blows me away because it just seems so random. So it starts off with verses one and two, and I want to read them for you so you hear how Saul is described. It says, there was a man of Benjamin, remember that, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zaror, son of Becharath, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. Verse two, he had a son whose name was Saul. A handsome young man, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. And so what scripture does is is oftentimes whenever you hear a description of Saul, is scripture tells us how much Saul looks the part of being a king. It just tells us over and over and over and over again. So we're introduced to him in the beginning of chapter nine, but then chapter nine goes in a weird direction. And what I want you to hear is that Saul doesn't go out looking for an encounter with God. Saul is not even thinking about God. In the beginning of chapter nine, do you know what Saul is doing? He's looking for his lost donkeys, which is something we all do from time to time, right? I mean, we all are looking for our donkeys. And so his father's donkeys are lost and he has to go out and look for them. And so his dad sends with him some young man that's gonna go with him. And the story just meanders. They go here, they go there, they go everywhere. And then finally they're running out of supplies. And Saul says this really interesting line. He says, "Um, it's time for us to go back whereas we run out of supplies because eventually my father is gonna no longer worry about the donkeys, but he's gonna start worrying about us. And the young man says to him, well, I've got an idea. We're close to a location where there is a known seer or prophet of the Lord that is known to hear God so well that not one of his words fall to the ground. And Saul says this, and this makes me laugh. Yeah, but I don't have any money. So I don't, that's another sermon, but I guess, I guess back then you had to put money into the prophet and the prophet gave you, I don't know what that means. We can deal with that at another point, but he's like, I have any money. And the young guy says, I've got some silver, let's go. And so they go to meet them in this town. The story shifts over to Samuel, the prophet. And we find that Samuel's telling us the story of how God showed up earlier in the day and let him know that he would be running into Saul and that this would be the one that he was going to anoint for king. Do you see the randomness of the story? Saul doesn't even know what he's headed for. God has already told Samuel and he's ready for it. And so they run into each other and Saul's like, hey, I've got to ask you a question. And Samuel says, no, 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 I need you to come with me and go to this dinner. And Saul's like, I don't want to go to a dinner. I just want to find my donkeys. And Samuel says, "Uh, the donkeys have already been found. Your father found them days ago, but this is important what I need you to do. Now, why do I say that? I say that because Samuel heard God so well that that was the conversations that he had with God. Could you imagine knowing God that well, where you heard him and held on to every one? He knew where the donkeys were, and so he takes him to this dinner. He gives Saul the choicest cuts of meat, but he doesn't do anything openly so that he anoints him there in front of all the people. They have this meal. When the meal's over, Samuel sends the young man and, the, and, and some folks on ahead of him and then anoints Saul and says, here's how you're gonna know that this is true. You're gonna encounter all of these different people along the way, a guy with three goats, a person that does this, a person does this, and it's gonna confirm what just happened in your life. And guess what? All of those things happen, which moves us to chapter 10. And here's what happens in chapter 10. The official anointing party. And so in that time, they would... Uh, they would um, decide what to do by God um, through casting lots. Could have been throwing dice. It could have been drawing straws. They had a way to be able to do this that allowed them to determine the heart and the will of God. And so Samuel calls all of Israel together in um, Mizpah. They all gather and he says, I told you you didn't want a king, but you told me you wanted a king. And so since you asked for it, now you're gonna get it. And they cast lots and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And then they cast lots, and the tribe and the family of Saul was chosen. And then they cast lots, and Saul's name was chosen. Yay, Saul's anointed, right? No. Guess who's not there? Saul doesn't want to be king. He has no desire to be king. And so Samuel's like, Where is this guy? He prays, and God says he's hiding in the baggage. Not a great start as the king of Israel, right? So the reluctant king, and so they go and they find him and they bring him out. Samuel anoints him in the presence of all Israel. Now that one moment causes some consternation for Israel because Israel, some of the people are like, look at him. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. That's exactly what we want as a king. But some people are like, why would we want this guy who's hiding? Doesn't seem like somebody that we want to be king, but that's where the story ends unresolved. And we move into chapter 11. You guys ready for the crazy stuff? Okay, so if you can hold all that and you're with me right now, then you, you get extra Jesus dollars. So here we go. First Samuel chapter 11. It says about a month later. So Samuel's been anointed. I mean, Saul's been anointed and Samuel's gone back to his town. About a month later, Nahash the Ammonite, this is a foreign king, not Israel, went up and besieged, remember this name, Jabesh Gilead, And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition, I will make a treaty with you, namely that I gouge out everyone's right eye and thus put disgrace upon all Israel. Why would it be important to gouge out the right eye of all of of those that are there? So they can't fight. It minimizes their ability to be able to fight back. And so this person made this decision. If you read on through the next two verses, They cry out, of course they don't wanna do this, and so they cry out and word starts to spread around Israel. We're gonna pick up in verse four. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, Gibeah is the town that Saul lives in, they reported the matter in the hearing of the people and all the people wept out loud. Now Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. I guess it wasn't really good to be king at the time because you still have to plow your own fields. Isn't that interesting? So even though he was anointed king, he's still plowing the fields. And so he's coming up out of the field behind the oxen and Saul said, what is the matter with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the message from the inhabitants of Jabesh, Gilead, verse six. And the spirit of God came upon Saul in power when he heard these words and his anger was greatly kindled. Now I'm gonna paraphrase for you the rest of it. Here's what Saul does. He hears what that king is doing to Jabesh, Gilead, he is angry about it. The spirit of God falls on him. He takes the oxen and he, um, he cuts them up as a sacrifice and he sends them out to all 12 tribes. And he says, if you do not respond and come to the defense of Jabesh Gilead, then the same thing will happen to all of your oxen. And guess what? 300,000 soldiers show up to defend Jabesh Gilead. This small town, on the other side of the Jordan River that's seemingly removed from everything that's going on inside of Saul's world. 300,000 people show up. They go to battle against Nahash. They destroy him. There's this amazing victory that happens, and all of Israel is now united behind Saul. And you see God taking this horrible nation that had fallen into, fallen into so much depravity, and he starts to rally them and move them and transition them towards what may be their most prosperous time, the period of the kings, through this one decision that Saul makes, we see all of that stuff start to come about, okay? And so that's where I would have ended the sermon and said, what does this tell us? Like, what can we can learn from it? Here's where the crazy stuff comes in. And so I'm just gonna go ahead and give you your warning right now that um, we're gonna go south. And I'm going to start by asking you a question. What is it about Jabesh Gilead that would have gotten Saul's attention? He's not from there that we know of. He's, um, it's, a, it's a small town that's in the tribe of Ephraim on the other side of the Jordan River. So, so what, what happened? And so through our studies this week, we found some connections for Paul, uh, excuse me, for Saul uh, to this point. Well, I'm still on page one of my notes. That's, that's a problem. Um, We find this story, and so I'm going to go back and I'm going to paraphrase for you what happens in Judges chapters 19 through 21. So two generations before Saul is born, there's a priest in Israel, and he's traveling with his concubine wife, and it's getting dark, and they decide to stop and stay in the town of Gibeah, what would eventually be Saul's hometown. And there's an old man that's there that takes them in because he's afraid for them to sleep out on the streets. And as they're staying in the house of this elderly man, the, the people from the tribe of Benjamin, described as evil, deplorable people is the way scripture deals with this, surround the house and demand that the old man release the priest to them for them to uh, take advantage of. I'm putting that in the, in the lightest terms I possibly can. The elderly man says, please, 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 no, don't do this. Don't bring this disrespect. And he makes the decision to give them the concubine wife. They take her, they abuse her, they rape her, and they leave her for dead. The next morning, the priest wakes up and he finds his wife dead. He puts her on the back of his donkey. He takes her back home. Now listen to this because there's your connections in the story. He, he uh, dismembers her, mails her to the 12 tribes and says, if you don't come to this defense because of this horrible nature, then God will deal with you ever so severely. And the tribes of Israel show up to attack one of their own tribes, the tribe of Benjamin, to bring about justice for what took place. And so Israel goes to battle against Benjamin. And in this back and forth, there's a, whole, there's a couple chapters about this. But here's what you need to know. In the battles they almost bring Benjamin to the, to the place of extinction. And as they're fighting, somebody finally realizes if we don't stop fighting, we are going to knock them into, into extinction and there, we're going to be down a tribe. There will only be 11 tribes. And so they stop fighting and they're left with 600 men and no women. And so they have this problem now. The leaders of Israel, they have a tribe that cannot procreate, cannot um, continue on the bloodline because there was also a curse that was spoken that they were not allowed to give their daughters in marriage to them. And this gets us to the depravity of Israel. So hold on uh, with me on this. And so the men of Israel have to decide, how do we get wives for the, for the Benjamites? And so they take a census and they say, who is it that didn't send soldiers to come fight against Benjamin. And they take a census and there was only one city that didn't send soldiers, Jabesh Gilead. And so they muster up an army, they send them to go attack Jabesh Gilead and they wipe out everyone except for the young maidens. They capture the young maidens, 400 of them, and they bring them back and they give them to the men of of the tribe of Benjamin to have as wives so they can continue on the bloodline. The story, believe it or not, the story gets worse from that point forward, but I'm gonna skip that next part. Here's what I want you to know. That's about two generations before the story of Saul. More than likely, one of those young maidens would have been Saul's grandmother. So just think about Saul growing up, hearing the stories of his kinfolk, the Ephraimites, how his mother was abducted and how maybe even the people that were in charge, those were the decisions that they made to do that. It might even speak to why Saul was reluctant to even go into leadership. Why would he want to be a part of that? But think of the trauma that he carried in his life. And, but here's, here's the thing I want you to hear, is that in all of the people of Israel, God found the one that would have a righteous indignation when he heard what some outside king was trying to do to his people. And that righteous indignation rose up out of the depths of who Saul was, and he called people to action. And because of the way that he did that, the sacrifice, you think you see all the parallels, all of Israel rallied behind him. And you see for the first time in a very long time, Israel is now on point and focused in a direction where they are moving into one of their greatest periods of expansion. God found maybe the only person that would do that Israel wasn't rallying around the priesthood. They weren't rallying around all of those different things, but he chose Saul. Now you may say to me, Scott, what do you do with that? I have no idea. Now is that, is that an interesting story? Um, it's hard to hear. It gives us a snapshot into Saul and maybe why he makes the decision that he makes. But here's what I want you to consider. Two things. Number one, Um, If you don't know anything about the Bible, and you just heard the sermon today, or maybe you've been here over the last three weeks, then you just understood, in terms of the greater story, how God moves the people of God from their worst space and transitions them to what might be one of their most prosperous times, heading to the time of David, And so you see those stories and you see how it unfolds. And so just on a scholarly level, all of you have been able to go on that journey. You can get in the car today and you can talk about how God does that. And for me, that that means the world to me because I want you to know that greater story. But here's the thing that I really think is the ministry part of this message. Do you know how God moves Israel from one point to another? He uses broken, imperfect people to move the people of God from one of their worst moments in history onto what would be the next moment that God has for them. And so here's what that says to us. If you're here and your life is one of those lives where you're like, Scott, you have no idea what my family history is. Uh, Surely it disqualifies me. I'm going to tell you, it does not disqualify you, but from what I read in scripture, more than likely it qualifies you for what God wants you to do. Because in three people, God takes Israel from this place, Hannah's faith, the birth of Samuel, who will not allow things to fall to the ground, to ushering in Saul, God rallies this brokenness back into a place to where they start living into the purpose and the design. Now, not perfect, not forever, but God moves the people of God along. Every single one of them had struggles and brokenness and trauma in their lives, and God used them to move the entirety of Israel. And so please hear me say that. God uses broken people to minister to broken people. The hurt, the wounds that you have in your life as God takes and brings transformation inside of you and brings healing inside of you. He doesn't just put you in a glass case and set you off somewhere beautiful on the side. He takes and he puts you back into the mix because it is the transformation that happens in your life that offers people hope in the middle of this broken world. To me, that is the message of Saul. Who knows why he made the decisions that he made, but I'm gonna tell you because of his brokenness, his heart was churned and he came in defense of Jabesh Gilead. And who knows in your life, the decision that God will bring you to and will allow you to make that will move an entire swath of people. It's what we see in scripture and it's something that I I think speaks to the greater story. Now, um, you may say, Scott, where's Jesus in all this? The thing that I love about this story is that no one's perfect. If you went back all the way to Aaron, the priest, Aaron's priesthood changes, Eli's priesthood changes, Samuel's priesthood, he's got sons that aren't living into the purpose and the design that he was supposed to live into. You get into the kingdom of Saul, Saul makes his mistakes, get into the kingdom of David, David makes his mistakes. All of them are imperfect all along the way. But here's the beautiful part of the whole story is that God knew that that God knew that, but God never wiped them out and got rid of them. He continued to draw them along until ultimately he could bring the only one that would bring about the healing and the redemption and that only one that would be the perfect priest would be Jesus. And so inside of all of this, as good as you see Samuel and as good as you see Hannah and as good as you see Saul, in their best moments, they were all still broken individuals and they needed a redeemer, which God ultimately brought out later on down the road. And so my hope today is if you find yourself as a broken person, and if you find yourself as a person that's got it all put together, let's avoid the nightmare of where Israel is, but let's see the love of God that draws us into a relationship and uses our brokenness to change this world. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, and I'm so grateful for for studying scripture. Lord, and as weird as it is to cover these stories that just make our ears tingle, and we, we stress over the way we're gonna talk about them, but God, it's, it's so beautiful how you take these messages and you use them to remind us of a God of grace and a God of mercy. And so Lord, I pray for each and every person that's here today, that God, we would never disqualify ourselves, but we would allow you to qualify us. That God, you would take those hurts, you'd take that trauma, you'd take that brokenness, and you would use it for your glory that you would use it to grow kingdom and change hearts and change lives. Position us in such a way, even in our brokenness, knowing that we're not gonna get it right going forward. God, we yield ourselves to you. And for those who maybe have never opened up their hearts to believe in Jesus, God, I pray that today would be the day that through that life that was given for us, we can find redemption for our souls and a full connection back to the heart of God as we open up and as we choose to believe. God, we love you we trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And I, I, I encourage you, if you would, if you feel so inclined, to, to sing along with the band as they play this final song. I'll be on the right or the left down here um, if you want someone to pray for you. And Addie will be over here on this side. And we'd be honored to be able to do that with you this morning.
3: Buried beneath my rebellion Lost without hope of redemption Blinded my need for sin
6: for the stories that we have. I'm thankful for, uh... try this one. All right, there we go. I'm so thankful uh, this morning. I'm thankful for, uh, for, for my story, for the challenges, the struggles, the failures, uh, the faults that I've certainly had in my life. And I love the fact that we are a church, that you are a people who uh, who celebrate along with us. They break our hearts. Those moments change us forever. A lot of times we never see him coming, but we are the church who, uh, who doesn't hide, who doesn't discount, who uses those things to help connect other people to Jesus. And I'm so thankful uh, to be a part of that. Uh, if you are new with us, if you're looking for a way to get plugged in, to get connected, we'd love to have a conversation with you uh, out in the lobby in our Next Steps room. If you're looking for a way, maybe you can use your story to impact the world around you. Same thing, we invite you out into the lobby to have a conversation with it so we can get you plugged in. But, uh, but for this week, let us go and let us use our story, our brokenness, not hiding anything or diminishing that, but allowing Jesus to use that uh, to connect people who have the exact same stories. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for this moment. God, we can just stand before you. God, we can just uh, embrace our faults, our challenges, our struggles, our failures of the past knowing that that doesn't disqualify us, but God, in many, many ways, it qualifies us. God, for the work that you have in store for us, that allows us to speak out of truth, out of experience into other people's lives. And so God, we just, uh, we pray that you'd help us to give us those opportunities, uh, God, just to go, to use those stories and connect people to your son, Jesus, because he is truly the source of life. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. We love y'all. Have a wonderful week.